All right, this is take three. <laughs> Nobody knows that but me, but anyway, start and stop this thing two different times because, well, it just seems silly. Uh, but I'm going to do it. This time I'm going to do it. This is uh, Tony C's Music and uh, Comedy Podcast. This is episode one. Uh, episode one is going to uh, be all about the Black Crows. Um, it's good as place as any to start. Uh, other episodes will definitely allude to the Black Crows since they are... Um, my band and by my band I mean the band that I first got into live music uh, seeing saw them uh, Supper Club 1996 New York City small intimate show blew my mind I've been, uh, been chasing that ever since anyone who's a fan of the Crows will know the kind of significance of that show um, in the grand scheme of things it was uh life-changing and that's not an exaggeration um and there's a story there too that i'll probably get to at some point but now this is really just a first episode and uh the first episode is going to focus all around gorman's book steve gorman the drummer of the black crows recently uh wrote a memoir the life and death of the black crows hard to handle the struggles of the band yada 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 brothers fighting everything you would expect, uh, and a little bit more. Um, so this is really just going to be a synopsis of the book, a review, some thoughts from someone who, you know, I think I first, well, obviously I first saw them in 96 live. Um, I was a little young when, when Shaker Moneymaker came out, although it's weird because hearing Shaker Moneymaker on the radio, it was on like classic rock and I just thought it was a classic rock song, like a song. You know, talking about like hard to handle and uh, um, jealous again. I was thinking they were actually written and performed in the 60s and 70s, and that band was from then. I didn't really compute until later on that that was the Crow's first album when uh, when I kind of jumped in on them somewhere around uh, probably 93-ish, just a few years later. And then I started, you know, went back and got into into that. But uh, anyway, uh, so so the the and Gorman touches on this a lot. It's one of the things I want to say is, is, is how the band's eras. Um, I was part of that 96, 97 era, uh, a fan of that era. A little bit more jammy when Chris was, uh, became a deadhead. Um, so that was, that's, I mean, I like from 94 really to 97. And then, you know, I wasn't a big fan of the buyer side stuff, although obviously I saw them during that period. I actually saw them through every single period. The only guitarist I didn't see them with was Cease, and I actually saw them without Gorman a couple of times. Those two shows, the one Mr. Crow's Garden up in Poughkeepsie, and then uh, one at the Hammerstein without Gorman, uh, which it's funny to hear Gorman talk about that in the book. He basically is just like, yeah, uh, I don't think anyone else can play with these guys once they figure out what the fuck it's like up there with them because he basically learned how to play drums while being in the band, the biggest band in the world, well, not the biggest band in the world, but one of the biggest bands in the world, and then when Shaker Moneymaker hit, and then Southern Harmony, he was basically learning how to play guitar with them. So only he could play guitar drums with them, and so only he can play the drums with them, and that was really apparent at those shows uh, when he wasn't there, and Chris was obviously not happy about the situation. Um, but, um, yeah, actually, that's one of the things I want to talk about the book. It was really, I mean, Steve's story of joining the band really just got him even on a drum set. 
He fucking moves to Atlanta on a whim. His buddy's like, yeah, we're starting a band. He's like, I'm in. Just fucking ships out, moves out to Atlanta with with 1200 bucks. Uh, if you've read the book, that's kind of a little bit of a joke there. But um, And just basically learns how to play the drums when he's 21 years old. Like, just buys his first drum set. And then, you know, not too long after that, he's, you know, playing in arenas. Um, it's a crazy story, and it's it's really... To me, one of the better parts of the book is just hearing the uh, how he just took kind of a chance and just went with his gut or, or against his gut, I guess, as it may be. But basically, he just took a chance and followed his dream. and was like, fuck it, I'm doing this. Um, and then just kind of what happened from there, his life, just the stories he tells, the things he did. It's pretty incredible. And it all started when he was like 20 years old and just said, fuck it, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Atlanta and then do this. Um, you know, that's something not everyone does, and, and the people that do do it live lives like Steve Gorman lived and, and get to write books like he wrote, and that's uh, one of the better parts about this book, I think. Um, some of the other parts about the book um, that I found interesting, um, you know, like I said, he nails the fans' perspective on the different eras, like the whole... You know, they got too jammy, uh, then they got, you know, there should have just been a rock and roll band, then the buyer side stuff, and Lions, and, you know, not everyone was a fan of that, and, and how he talks about the beginning, how he, you know, they basically just did what they wanted, and, and, and kind of whittled out a lot of the fans, like people, and, and it's weird when you live through this too, because you talk to people about the Crows who were around during that time, and they're just like, oh yeah, they were like that band that had like a couple of hits, and then whatever happened to them, but meanwhile, if you were a fan of theirs, you knew what happened to them. You were seeing them at these shows in 96, 97, 98, all the way through, and, and each reincarnation, and you knew that every time you saw them live, they were going to be amazing. And, like, yeah, their albums weren't that great, maybe for some people at that point, but, you know, their shows were always going to be awesome. And I think I was on the side of Chris on that, Chris Robinson, about, you know, I was more into those kind of that jam years, um, the 96, 97. I saw them a bunch of times during that time, three further shows. Um, all that kind of stuff. Um, looks like my uh, computer's battery's going, but that's going to happen in uh, first episodes, right? Even though I'm... Uh... All right, anywho. Um... They were just the best rock and roll band. That's all there was to it. If you saw them live, you knew that. Um... And, uh, you know, they might have been too, too, basically, too, not jammy enough to be a jam band. And I've heard Rich say this before, too. I think I actually said it on Steve Gorman's radio show or, or an interview with him. Or it might have been Dean Del Rey. One of those where Rich is basically, we weren't fish, right? We weren't a, we weren't a jam band. Um, but we weren't Pearl Jam either. You know, they weren't an arena rock band. They were just like, you know, they were too obscure to be an arena rock band. They were too not jammy enough to be a jam band but what they were was just a fucking amazing rock and roll band and they'll blow your fucking mind every time you saw them live um and that's really why they they still had a following um and then uh you know the page stuff the jimmy page stuff in the book was incredible it was probably the most eye-opening part of the book um it was very moving very moving stuff hearing rich i mean hearing uh steve kind of talk about page and um you know that stuff was amazing um it was actually really interesting too like uh, you go back and forth as you've read the book i don't want to spoil too much but like you know i can kind of see chris and rich's perspective on it like they were basically in a cover band i mean yeah it was a cover band with 
arguably one of the best guitarists in the world, uh, you know, a rock god, but it was still a cover band. I mean, they were playing not their songs, and they basically had already, you know, flopped, and they needed this to kind of bring themselves back, and they were getting brought back, but they were doing it at the heels of, or the shadow of, you know, Paige is probably how they looked at it, and it was probably frustrating to them, and, and very humiliating, and not humiliating, um, you know, humbling. Um, to be like, all right, you know, we're getting back to this notoriety. We're getting, you know, big time spots on TV. We're getting all over the place and selling out these shows. But we're playing Zeppelin songs and we're not playing our songs. And I think, you know, it's easy for Steve to say, well, dude, we're playing with fucking Jimmy Page, man. This is amazing. Like, what the fuck? Don't fuck this up. When it's not him whose, you know, ego is in check. When it's not his songs are not playing anymore. You know, so... I mean, as much as you, when you read the book, you'll know, like, yeah, yeah, of course, like, what the fuck are you thinking here, guys, to blow this fucking shit? But, you know, just to play devil's advocate, from that perspective, if you put yourself in Chris and Rich's shoes, and knowing Chris and Rich the way everyone does at this point, you know, it's pretty easy to see why that happened. Um, yeah, it sucks for the fans. I mean, I got to see them with Paige uh, before the whole thing blew up, so that was kind of cool. But, um, you know, I just was thinking about it a little bit more. It's like, you know what? Yeah, I get their point of view on that. I mean, obviously, I couldn't. I mean, if I was in Steve's shoes, I would be like, you got to be fucking kidding me like they were. And really, the whole thing was the tour. Like, you have the thing. It's all scheduled. You know, tour manager puts the whole thing together. They have all these dates, all the fans that want to see it. And then they just blow it up. That's the part that's the hardest. Like, at least just suck it up and get through it. And I understand why they probably were starting to not like it as much because they were doing, you know, not their songs. But, um, you know, that was the page stuff was really, really, really good stuff in the book. If you're anywhere near a Zeppelin fan, a Page fan, a Crows fan, whatever, a rock fan, you'll definitely like that part of it. Um, side note too, the, the Ed stuff was great. If you're a Crows fan, the Ed stuff was great. There's a line in there when they're, they're getting back together again for, I don't know, the second time or third time, whatever it was. And, and they're like, yeah, Ed's clean. <laughs> and Steve's like, Ed's clean? He's like, well, as clean as Ed's going to be, which is, you know, how they looked at it because Ed was a fucking, you know, alien. Um, but um, I love the Ed stuff, man. It's just RIP Ed on that. I just wanted to say that part of it. I mean, we went to see, so the, this show was, was a sentence in the book. It was Toad's Place, the 98 tour. Mark was already out of the band. All the feed was in the band. It was, I believe it was By Your Side. Um, had just been released. And it was the first, I think it was the first show of the tour. It was at Toad's Place in Connecticut. I was 20 at the time. I drove from where I lived to New Haven to buy the tickets at the box office before the show. Because that's the only week of tickets back then. At least for this show, we had to drive up there, go to the box office in New Haven, buy the tickets. I got into a car accident on the way up, stop and go traffic. I rear-ended this fucking guy. I had to pay a ticket for it. It was bullshit, but the cop wasn't going to believe me. I'm a 20-year-old fucking punk. So I pay the fucking ticket. I get the, I get the tickets at the fucking Toad's Place box office. We go back up for the show. Me, my cousin, and a buddy of ours, a couple buddies of ours, drive back up there to New Haven, two hours away for the show. We get up there. And they're not letting us in because it's a 21 and over show. And none of us are 21. We're 20, 19 years old. We're like, you got to be fucking kidding me. So now we're hanging out outside Toad's Place by the, by the tour bus. And then we see Rich Robinson walking by. And my cousin just goes, hey, Rich. Hey, Rich. Rich walks right over to us. What's up, guys? We're like, tell him the fucking story. Listen, dude, they're not letting us in. We're 20 years old. We're not 21. But we came all the way to fuck up here to see the show. Like, what can you do? Rich is like, hang on a minute, man. He went and got some, I don't know who the hell he got, tour guy or somebody in their crew. 
He's like, hang on a second, guys. I guess he talked to them. He's like, you guys are in. You got to wait till exactly when the show starts. You're going through this door. You're going to be wearing these wristbands. You're not drinking a fucking thing when you're in there. And you can go to the show. We're like, this is fucking awesome. So now we have all this time to kill it because the show wasn't going to start yet. So we're walking around New Haven, Connecticut. We go into the Yale bookstore. And we see Eddie Harsh fucking walking out of the Yale bookstore with stacks of books in each arm. He's a tall dude. The books are from his waist to his shoulders, both arms. He's walking through the fucking bookstore to pay for the, we're out of, like by the entrance. We're walking in. We're like, hey, we're like, we just saw Richie let us into the show. We're fucking 19 year old kids, 20 year old kids. We're freaking the fuck out. He's like, all right, right on guys, right on. Fucking walked out. So anyway, that was my Eddie Harsh story. Um, and that, 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 that show, the New Haven show was mentioned in one sentence in the book. So I thought that was kind of cool, but, um, Anyway, the book gave confirmation. Uh, we all know who Rich and Chris was, were, are, and uh, that book just completely gives, you know, confirmation on that. All of our assumptions were true. Although I gotta say, uh, I was surprised by some of the Rich antics. Um, you know, I didn't think he was gonna be as well. You know, he's a bit smug. I guess is the word to use. You know, the guy doesn't smile. Um, but he got us into that show. I've always, I've always liked Rich for that. And and, but you know, he was no angel. That's the thing. I guess you take from it too. I mean, everyone always kind of thought Chris was the dick, but you know, Rich, Rich had his own, uh, his own way of doing things as well. Um, the band and tall session stuff in the, in the book was really good. It shed some new light on things. Um, I mean, we knew it was a mess. We kind of always knew it was a mess, and kind of rumors about how that all went down, but. Really to hear it all go down really showed uh, just how self-destructive the band was. And uh, I was really good to hear that kind of stuff. I love the band and Tall Sessions talk in, in the book. Um, one of my problems with the book, I got to say, man, there was nothing about Before the Frost Until the Freeze. I mean, it was just like, yeah, we, we released a couple more albums later on. I mean, there was nothing. I, I just I would have I just couldn't believe that. The before the frost till the freeze stuff. I mean, the cabin fever shows. You know, how, that was such an amazing part about the band, especially after they'd been a, been away for a while. They come back. They're putting out some good shit. Those albums are arguably some of their best albums they ever made. They recorded at the barn. I was at one of those recordings at the barn. It was unbelievable to be there. They made the DVD about it. It seemed like everything was great. Rich had his own songs on that album. You know, he's singing on Oh Sweet Nothing. The whole Le- fucking Levon Helms barn, like nothing man Steve didn't give us anything about that I just couldn't believe it I thought there'd be at least a fucking chapter on it I was like you gotta I was just very disappointed there was nothing on that at all I I wanted to know about those sessions those recording sessions how they went down how they recorded that shit live in front of the audience whose idea it was to even do that was that Chris's idea was that Rich's idea was it both of them you know how the band got along at the barn during those sessions and, and all the guests that came in Larry Campbell and Levon Helms fucking house for Christ's sakes like nothing man he gave us not even a, a fucking sentence on it I just think that was a big omission I really do like that was just glossed over there was nothing there nothing about before the frost until the freeze at all I couldn't believe it like to me, that was that was a huge part about that band that like doesn't get talked about enough. Like they recorded those albums in front of a live audience at Levon Helm's barn, and that's just like awesome, fucking cool thing that just you know just didn't even get talked about. And, and the connection with the band is really interesting. Now the band is my favorite band. You know, it's like they're one and one A with the Crows and. The Crows, I was around to see a lot more, obviously, so they're probably higher up there. But the band is, is really my favorite band. And it's so interesting how some of their shit overlaps with the infighting with the band and you know some of that publishing stuff that they get into a little bit with Levon and, and Steve kind of had the same little thing. Not the same, but, you know, 
similar at least and the drugs and uh it's really interesting that you know Levon Helm talks about it on I in it for my health which is a great documentary you should watch if you haven't seen it and um he talks about how like it was all over after the second fucking album for them like he knew the writing was on the wall and it sounds like with the with the crows it wasn't much different i mean after after southern harmony that's when the shit started hitting the fan already uh, and the weird part about it is the southern harmony album cover is an homage to that band's second album album cover so they both had their second albums kind of be their their peaks and then it was all downhill from there and the album covers were very very similar which was very very odd and very cool and interesting um Another side note, the one set list Rich wrote, and it talk, Steve talks about it in the book, is an amazing set list. I went back and looked in Crow's Base to find that, you know, find that set list, and it was, uh, it was an awesome set list. I don't know. I never got a recording of that show, but I, I might have to get one now. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, that's my gist of it, man. That's my, uh, that's my Crow's, Crow's book kind of wrap-up. Uh, this is the podcast. I mean, this is episode one, and I think I'm going to actually publish this one. <laughs> like I said, it's the third take because I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? But yeah, I mean, this is what it's going to be. This is what the podcast is going to be. Um, the only other thing I do is, is Twitter. I don't have uh, – this probably won't be on YouTube. I don't think I'm going to do video. It's just going to be an audio podcast for now anyway. I thought about it. It's like, what? I mean, kind of what, Rich, uh, what Steve talks about in the book when Chris wanted to make – you know, the studio, you know, atmosphere for the recording had to be all fucking with the candles and the, the right a- right atmosphere. Everyone does this shit with these podcasts now and their st- home studios and the things behind them and the right fucking pictures behind them and all this shit. It's like, no, nah, dude, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to talk about music mostly and then maybe some stand-up comedy and that's going to be the podcast. Um, I have way more Crow stories probably to tell, but this was just going to be... Uh, you know, the book kind of synopsis and, and review of the book because I just finished, I finished it in like a day and a half or two days. It was like, just breezed right through it. It was like, couldn't put it down. Um, anyone who's a Crows fan probably knows that, uh, feel, you know, felt the same way. But um, yeah, I'm just going to talk about albums. I'm going to talk about live shows. I'm going to have some stories to tell. Um, and, uh, you know, I might dive into some stand-up comedy type shit too every once in a while. Um, cause those are the two things I really talk about, but I'm on Twitter. I think my Twitter handle is at song. I am singing cause I was literally started Twitter. I'm just going to post one song every day and that's all it's going to be. And that's going to be the entire account. I'm not going to hit anything else. I'm not going to talk about shit. I'm not going to deal with idiots or politics, but you know, after a couple of weeks of that, I'm like, okay, I'm typing shit up, but I'm really only typing shit up on, uh, still comedy and music is the only things I'm trying to focus on. Cause those are the two things that interest me. Um, so that's what this podcast is going to be. Um, and I'll try and, uh, I'll try and keep that up and just kind of put stuff up on Twitter about it and shit. Cause that's all I really got, um, for now. Um, but yeah, that's it, man. This is how it's going to go down. Um, if you listen to it and you liked it, tell someone about it. Cause that's the only way it's going to fucking get to anyone. And I won't feel like I'm talking to myself, which I kind of do feel like, but, uh, anyway, and this is how I really talk. I'm, I talk fast. Uh, <laughs> But uh, that's how it's going to go, man. So thanks for listening. And uh, pick up the book. Let me know what you think about it, too. Um, you know, it's so funny. I was texting with my buddy. We, all, we came up with all these blurbs about the book. Like, the struggles of the band and the brothers of the infighting of the Black Crows. The life and death. It's like, it's like very cliched. It's very, very cliched for a band that was so uncliché. And it kind of just, like, came full circle for these cats. And it's like... Yeah, they became that. They became that band, and I still think there's going to be a reunion. I still think they're going to need the money, and they're going to want to do a reunion, and we're all going to go. It's going to be a fucking awesome show. I mean, I saw Magpie salute a few times. 
saw as the crows fly. Magpies should lose way better than as the crows fly. Uh, but um, at least putting out new music too. The, the High Water is a really good album, and I, High Water too. I can't wait to hear as well. You know, I've seen Mark Ford solo with the Sinners. I've actually have a story there too. I'll probably get to at some point where we fucking hung out with them a couple of times, randomly after shows. Um, so I mean, every carnation of the Crows in every which way. I actually saw Circle Sound, which was Rich's show with Luther Dickinson before he actually joined the band. I mean, I one time saw Chris fucking DJing at a, at a bar in Brooklyn when I was, you know, used to be on that taller message board and someone mentioned it, uh, this was years ago. And so I, I've been, you know, every carnation of the band you can think of and kind of following them all different ways, you know, saw like three further shows in different states with them and, um, you know, probably seen them over 20 times. And But, you know, reading the book kind of put some, put some closure on a lot of it and kind of got, got you to see like all the shit we kind of thought uh, actually was true. Um, and other stuff that we learned. Um, but overall, it's an amazing book. I just I would have loved to some, hear some Before the Frost stuff, like I said. That's probably my only thing I didn't like about it. And, you know, I mean, it is Steve's perspective. He makes a point of saying that, you know, a number of times. And, you know, I, I don't think he's too disparaging on the rest of the band. I mean, he didn't really go into a lot of the band members besides obviously like Sven and, and, and a little bit of Ford stuff. But like, you know, the Jackie Green, Luther Dickinson type stuff, completely just crossed over when Gregor Zab was the bassist completely kind of glossed over he didn't really get into that he just kind of kept it straight I mean he knew Chris way better than I thought he did and he was I, I kind of knew the stories of them but like I didn't realize just how tight they kind of were at the beginning and that sort of thing and that's kind of hard to hard to swallow when the shit really just kind of devolved you know devolves into what it devolved into and and they don't even fucking talk anymore and shit so Let's hope there's a reunion uh, and we'll see everyone uh, at the reunion and uh, we'll have a good time because a crow show is always a good time. That's the one thing, uh, one thing, you know, but um, anyway, thanks for uh, checking in and uh, we'll talk to you next time. All right. See you.